What is up, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Crypto Entrepreneurs Podcast. As always, it's your host, Charles, and today we've got another great episode for you. I'm going to be sitting down with Brad Michelson. He's the Senior Marketing Manager for eToro. These guys are doing a lot. He is an expert in marketing and PR, I'd say. And today we're going to be talking about how to effectively market yourself or your company in the crypto industry. There's a lot of nuance to it, a lot of things that don't apply to other markets, especially financial markets when it comes to marketing and advertising. So we're going to get into all that. But before we do, two quick things. Again, this is a video interview. So if you want to head over to YouTube so you can see Brad's face and have something to watch as we talk, there's a link in the description below for that. The second thing is I do want to give a quick shout out to the two sponsors going to try to make this very brief. The first is Crypto.com. So stoked to have these guys on. Uh, it's been a couple months now and things could not be better. A uh, couple announcements for them. You can now add your Visa MCO credit card to your Apple, Google, uh, I think Android wallets or pay, you know, Apple pay, that sort of thing. Uh, on top of that, they're doing two token sales this month. The first is a 25% off sale for Engine, and that's happening on the 23rd. And then they're doing a 50% off sale for Bitcoin for their fourth anniversary, and that is happening on the 30th. So if you'd like to participate, get a discount on these two coins. Uh, you can head down to the link in the description below. Head on over see what it's all about the second sponsor is CoinFlip. they are the largest atm crypto atm company by volume and the third largest by number of machines just wrapped up my first month with them keeping them on and couldn't be happier uh, if you are in the market to buy some bitcoin and you want to do it at a crypto atm you can head over to their website and they will show you the closest ATMs to you currently. Uh, it's a great way to buy Bitcoin and they do have some of the lowest fees in the market. Uh, there's a link in the description below to their website so you can head over, check out wherever these ATMs are and find the one closest to you. And then also, it's been about a month since their OTC desk launched. Uh, a couple cool things about the OTC desk is they do also have some of the lowest fees for over-the-counter purchases and they have one of the lowest minimums at $5,000 so if you're looking to purchase some Bitcoin over-the-counter uh, it's a great experience highly recommend that you try it out uh, you can head over to their website again link in the description below now let's get into the episode with Brad and talk about marketing in the crypto industry all right Brad so before we get into kind of crypto marketing um, and eToro, all that jazz. Do you think you could just give us a brief background on yourself and what you were doing before you got into this industry, just so we can kind of get to know you a little better? Sure. Yeah. So uh, a lot of my marketing background is actually in e-commerce marketing. So I was at an agency for a few years where I started as an account manager and uh, grew up to uh, the director of strategy at that agency. Uh, where I managed a paid media team and a social media team. Um, after that, I went in-house at a 
e-commerce brand and um, that was fine, but then got an opportunity to go over to my first crypto brand. And that's where I started working in crypto, at least for the first time. So yeah, how, how was that kind of transition? Because I feel like everyone's story is a little bit different. Uh, did you know about Bitcoin before you started working with this company or how did, how did that all go? Yeah, I've actually been into uh, Bitcoin more specifically um, since about 2012. Discovered it on Reddit and uh, actually turned out my little cousin had already been mining back then. So um, between Reddit and him, he kind of sold me on it, um, got more and more into it. And then over the next couple of years, I, uh, I, I had mentioned it to a friend and then another friend. And it turns out I had a, a group of friends that were all closet Bitcoin people. Um, so we started a Slack group and we've actually still got it to this day. And um, a couple of us are working in crypto now, which is pretty cool. Wow. So eight years running now, you've you've been in the industry for a while. You'd I guess you'd be considered an OG to most. Um, <laughs> so with that job, that initial job, because I know you're at eToro now. Was there anything before that in this industry that you were working on? Yeah. So um, my the first job I had in crypto I actually helped uh, AirSwap launch their DEX platform. Uh, after that, I went over to help BlockFi launch the brand. So uh, that's where I was before eToro, um, helped them uh, grow the brand and launch the BlockFi interest account. And then uh, last year, moved over to uh, eToro. Okay, perfect. So it's been about a year. You've got a pretty extensive resume. Uh, what drew you to eToro and what are you kind of doing there now? Yeah, so uh, right now I run the U.S. marketing team. So uh, there's a team of about nine of us, um, and we do everything from acquisition marketing to brand positioning, that sort of thing. Um, what really attracted me to eToro was just sort of the the pedigree. eToro has been around for about 13 years. It originally launched just as a social uh, stock trading app. Um, so globally, eToro is actually known more as a broker than a, a crypto exchange. Uh, right now in the U.S. we're crypto only, but we'll be launching stocks fairly soon. So, um, you know, it was the fact they've been around for a long time. Crypto is really in the blood of eToro. Yoni, our CEO, he's been into crypto since like 2010. Uh, um, Vitalik used to work at eToro before he went over to uh, start um, Ethereum. So um, it really runs through the the veins of eToro at the same time. So it was a really exciting opportunity. I couldn't turn around. Yeah, it sounds like uh, cryptocurrencies kind of are the lifeblood of their U.S. operations. Um, when they do make the switch and kind of open it up to traditional markets as well, are you going to be running that or are you going to stay focused on kind of the cryptocurrency portion of their whole U.S. branch? Yeah, so uh, right now we're actually just preparing for for when that launch happens. So that involves a lot of staffing up and building out uh, new teams and, um, you know, flexing out existing teams that we already have. So some of that will involve uh, people on my team focusing more on crypto than the other side and vice versa for some other teams. So um, as far as I'm concerned, I'm focused on both, but I'm always going to have... Uh, you know, a soft spot for the crypto side of things. And I think just with um, our base community as it is right now, we have where our, our incentives are aligned with continuing with the crypto uh, community. Right now, there aren't a lot of 
uh, platforms that offer stock trading that cater to the crypto side of things. And I think that we can be uh, that platform. Yeah, you guys might be able to snag that kind of or become that go to exchange that does both. And that was actually something that I really wanted to talk about more in depth here, uh, because I feel like there's a very large disconnect between traditional finance and kind of cryptocurrency companies. Uh, you're either full crypto or you've got a little arm in it or a little branch in it, but it's not you know, really your main focus. Uh, and you've come from traditional markets or you've come from outside of crypto and you're doing marketing at an e-com place. Uh, so can we maybe dive into the differences in marketing between the two? Because uh, you're kind of at the front end of this. You've seen it better than most people, I would say. Uh, so what's it what's it like to you know run a marketing team for a crypto company versus a regular company? Yeah, I think that there's um, a lot of things that when you're starting uh, marketing for a crypto product that you have to know right off the bat. Um, firstly, the the tools are different, right? Not every company has access to running ads on Facebook or Twitter um, or Instagram, like most of the places where our audience spend most of their time. Um, but then also the attitudes of the audience towards advertising and marketing um, are a lot more cutthroat. People are really picky and they're very quick to, to judge and, and jump on any mistake you might make. So everything has to be thoughtful. Everything has to be tasteful within um, the expectations of the community. So it's a lot of focus on building trust, um, making sure that your values align with the values of the community and that uh, it's accessible enough and not intrusive uh, as to not give away too much, you know, PII or whatever it is, um, that it makes people comfortable enough to use you. There we go. Yeah, it, it's pretty funny. I think that the crypto community and Twitter is such a big hub for it. They're very skeptical of any kind of marketing. You do one thing out of line and everybody jumps on you. I don't know if you had paid attention to, I think we actually had a little back and forth on Twitter about it. Um, Brave's kind of marketing and their referral links that they were putting mm -hmm. in. Um, and I jumped on it just to be a dickhead and have some fun. Uh, but there were a lot of people who were really upset about that. Uh, and they said stuff like, oh, I'm never going to use Brave Browser again. Um, so how do you kind of navigate that properly where you're kind of so on edge all of the time? Yeah. And it's, it's really tough when you're in a fast growing business because you could be in brave situation where you're trying to develop new revenue streams or you're, you know, you've got uh, a move fast and break things mentality with how you're, you're building it. You might have some uh, like UI issues in the platform. Um, so it's really about uh, just being, deliberate with your actions. So in the, in the example you gave of brave, you know, that I could easily see that sounding like a fantastic idea in a, in a team meeting when, when you're so hyper-focused on generating revenue and brave does such a fantastic job of, uh, providing this new solution that no one else has really come up with yet. Um, that inherently, um, you know, excludes obvious revenue models. And they've done a really good job of providing uh, advertisers places to advertise. We market with them and they're a great partner. Um, it just so happens that this one didn't connect uh, exactly with some of their audience. So 
Um, you know, kudos on their team for jumping on that so quickly and uh, admitting to it and reversing it. And I think that that's really uh, what it comes down to. They, you know, admitted that that's what they did. Um, they apologized and they rebuilt uh, that functionality as quickly as they could. And I think that's all you can ask from a, a growing business. Yeah, I think one thing that really came to light with all of it was that transparency is kind of the most important thing to a lot of these traders yeah. on Twitter and a lot of people in the community, just because I think we've seen so many scams throughout the years that if you're not as transparent as possible and you're kind of sneaking in a ref link like they were, the community is just so ready to call it a scam and dismiss <laughs> it, uh, which is a little bit unfortunate. And again, you do kind of have to walk on eggshells. Um, I'm just trying to figure out because, you know, you're, you're running marketing at a huge firm uh, and I'm just trying to figure out if there's ways that other companies can properly market to the crypto community where they don't need to be so on edge. Because like you're saying, you know, a lot of these guys have a move fast and break things mentality and they're kind of throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks and sometimes it's very negative outcome where people are like, I, I can't use this this product or service anymore. So I'm just trying to figure out kind of what you guys have figured out and what works uh, so that other companies can kind of use the same kind of marketing techniques. That's a really good question. I think that with a lot of companies, the core of the issue is that um, it comes down to their revenue model at the end of the day. For some people, it requires economies of scale. So you need millions of users and all of a sudden you become highly profitable. But until then, you're a little bit bootstrapped still. Um, and that applies for a lot of companies that are in the crypto space. So you rely on things like community engagement with uh, coming up with creative ways to develop content to post on social media uh, and then being an authoritative voice that people wanna hear from. That is so key in our space. Um, like you talked about before, being an authoritative voice on Twitter, uh, there's almost nothing more powerful than that um, in our industry right now. Um, I think that if you're able to find ways that couple that strategy with um, a full marketing funnel where you're leveraging those social channels to fill the, that upper funnel, bring in new leads and customers and being able to upsell them on uh, products throughout that customer journey, that's the ultimate goal in the end. So um, from a revenue perspective, it can't just be one thing that's generating revenue from you. You need multiple channels um, to excel in the long run. There we go. I really like what you're talking about with this kind of authoritative figure. Uh, you think of some of the big names who have built their kind of brand over the years, and those guys are really looked up to. You think of someone like Pomp. When he mm -hmm. starts talking about a product or quote unquote shilling a product, people listen to him because he is that authoritative figure. Uh, and so there was, uh, I forget what the name of the miner was, that at home miner. It, it wasn't the best, you know, kind of, I, I think it had negative returns for some of the assets that it was mining. Uh, but because he has built this name and brand and is kind of a go to guy in the industry, this company that he was a part of, they were able to talk about it and sell it to the public because people had trust in him. Uh, and I think that that's just, 
you know, it's it's a tough way to market, especially because he's put countless hours into kind of building his brand. And when mm-hmm. you think of kind of traditional markets, you think of running ads. Uh, there's very quick turnaround time when you can run an ad, see some sort of engagement from it, kind of make that sale relatively quickly. And that's yeah. how it's done in a lot of other industries. Here, it's kind of you got to really build a name for yourself and become trusted before you can start to sell any kind of product, uh, which is, I'd say, a little bit tough. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, these are all financial products. We, I think that sometimes get gets lost in the conversation sometimes. This not only costs money, but it involves people's money, their savings, or what they're hoping to earn in the future, um, whether it's an interest product or a trading platform. In the example that you gave of uh, that one mining device, and whose name is also escaping me right now, it really was, and probably still is, the only cool-looking um, consumer class miner that you know. The whole value prop was that you bring it home, you plug it in, you connect the app, and then it's done. And then it mines like five different currencies at a time, or whatever it was. Um, very cool device. The price point was a little bit high, but that's one of those things with economy of, of scale that they can drop those prices over time. Um, I understand the criticism, things like that, but that is an exciting product, and there are more exciting products coming on the way. I think the first iteration of, you know, physical Bitcoin products or crypto products in general were the hard wallets. Like I originally got a ledger because it was the only tangible thing that connected me to (laughs) this hobby of mine, which was like very cool at the time. And now I have like, you know, a number of them and, uh, and, and of different brands as well. And they're awesome things they have and they're super useful. Um, but I think that people are always going to look for um, something tangible in a space where everything you're doing is intangible, uh, whether it's like clothing and there are people jumping on that trend of offering uh, cool crypto clothes or uh, hardware or whatever it is. There we go. Uh, so I want to kind of circle back on something because you talked about the fact that these are financial products. We are dealing with people's savings, retirements, potentially it's their money. Uh, and when we talked in DMs, kind of the main focus of this, I, I know we've kind of touched on it and danced around it. I kind of just want to really nail it down is the similarities and differences between crypto marketing and then traditional fintech marketing. Uh, and, yeah. you know, it. I still don't fully understand what fintech encompasses. So do you think before we jump into the kind of similarities and differences, and I know we've already talked about it a little bit, but I do want to just get it nailed down. uh, Do you think you could just tell us what fintech actually means and what it encompasses? Yeah, I think it's a really broad category. And a lot of people would agree with you that um, it's not that it is loosely defined. Um, It's basically any technology that I think most people mean consumer facing. Um, that involves money, storage of money, transfer of money, investing, that sort of thing. So uh, some of the big players right now are uh, platforms like uh, Robinhood or Cash App or Venmo. Um, But I think that uh, some people also include um, like base layer uh, brands like Plaid, which basically powers all of those apps uh, in terms of transferring value uh, between platforms and, and banks. Um, so I think it's it, it's a purposely vague category because there's so much that's encompassive of that term. 
There we go. And so now, can we get into kind of how crypto companies can follow in the footsteps of Cash App, Robinhood, you know, those kind of companies, they're, they're known by everybody. And they do an exceptional job of marketing themselves. You know, yeah. Robinhood is probably now the most talked about trading platform, uh, especially in recent days with how easy it is to just get on there, start trading. Uh, and so can we maybe talk about what they've done right and how companies in this industry, the crypto industry, can follow in their footsteps? Yeah, well, I think when you're looking at Robinhood, their obvious innovation was bringing commission-free stock trading to consumers because before that it was really only available uh, to in institutions or institutional investors. Um, so that was a big part of it. Um, second, they've found uh, the ability to organically grow, um, you know, mostly without advertising really. If you look at um, the last two years before uh, all the other, you know, key brokers in the U.S. started going, uh, commission-free stock trading. Uh, it was mostly organic growth because it was trendy on social media and it was at the time by far the easiest investing app available. Now you have uh, investing on Cash App, which is equally if not easier to, to trade stocks on uh, and other apps that are coming out all the time. Public's another really good one. Um, so it's it's a little bit about about innovation, but I think that going to your first question about how um, crypto companies can compete. Um, there's a couple things. So first is the framing of where we are in crypto right now, which I believe is sort of rebuilding the traditional system on the blockchain rails. And then once that system exists, which is more or less where we are now, um, we'll be able to start building some of that future tech. So there's that as a piece of it. The next piece is um, you know, blockchain cannot be the key value prop of a product. It can't be the reason that people use it, right? My dad's never going to use something because that's, you know, their main claim to fame. So the second we have an app that runs on blockchain as rails, but it's not uh, the thing that, you know, someone's parent would know it for, um, that's when we have these mass adoption opportunities. So it has to happen behind the scenes without anyone noticing, really. And this can be, uh, we can see this already with some products that are trying to disrupt things like cross-border border payments, uh, transferring money um, uh, through remittances, that sort of thing, disrupting Western Union, for example. So these opportunities are available. Um, I think that a lot of companies are sort of waiting for uh, legislation and even to some degree the tech to catch up. There we go. So I want to circle back on something really quick, which was the kind of idea of Robin Hood and it just being, you know, talked about so often on a lot of these social media platforms and it was very organic. You know, I remember two of the first kind of stock trading platforms uh, were that I was introduced to were Acorns and Robin Hood. And those two were huge back in the day. I'd say Robin Hood's kind of grown. Acorns, I don't see as much. Um, but it, it, I, I'm just trying to remember kind of how it all happened because it was so long ago, was, you know, two, three years ago or two years ago, whatever it was, uh, for both of those, maybe even longer than that. And uh, it just kind of popped up. So, you know, what kind of, you, you talked about it a little bit, 
but is there anything else that kind of drives that organic push? Um, because mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, companies today, especially in this industry, in the crypto industry, a lot of it seems very forced. Uh, you know, they pay, they throw a bunch of money at the wall, yeah. see what works. Whereas these companies that have been able to grow, is it just that they're offering such a great product or is there, is there more to it? It's a little bit of both. Firstly, the product has to be good and with a good UX and it has to be optimized for uh, easy use to get from the customer from walking in the door to uh, completing whatever the, the conversion, the action you want them to do is. But when you're looking at a company like Robinhood, that was inherent in the UI. What actually was part of that success was that they were basically a powerhouse uh, when it came to PR. They would get up, get written up by TechCrunch whenever something new happened. Um, and TechCrunch is even more powerful as a publication now than it was then. Um, so I think, uh, and this is especially true in crypto, um, having a strong uh, PR side to your marketing department is really important because that's how you get in front of a lot of uh, new eyeballs. I think that in crypto, when people pay to get in front of eyeballs, it is effective, especially podcast advertising or newsletter advertising, um, but that only gets so far. Um, when you go through the PR angle, um, I think that it sticks a little bit more in the mind of the consumer uh, because there's always a story that's associated with it, um, but also it gives uh, an extra air of legitimacy. So that goes back to that that trust factor. There we go. So I don't know too much about PR. I you know just kind of have my own brand. I don't know how companies do it. Uh, but when when you mention PR, I kind of just think you know getting the company's story onto one of these major publications like Cointelegraph or something like that. So is that mm-hmm. how that works? Like, I, Can we just dive a little bit deeper on that one and the specifics of kind of how you get your name out there with a story behind it? Yeah, it's PR is really tough when you're starting out. Um, I would say that largely PR is just relationships, right? You meet a writer or uh, the writer reaches out to you at one point, uh, wants some background information or something, or you meet them at a crypto meetup and you just get to know each other. Um, and at that point, you guys are a resource to each other. Uh, they can come to you if they need some context on a story they're writing, or you can go to them if you have some some launch to put out. Um, but a lot of companies will also leverage PR agencies um, who have these you know, deep, connections with editors or writers at some of these key publications and it can be expensive but uh, it does pay dividends in the long run for brand exposure there we go so i i mean i feel like this really kind of circles back on something that i've talked about with a lot of different entrepreneurs on here down to you know the smallest single person who's just kind of got a brand to these much larger companies Uh, and it really goes back to the relationships that you're creating in this industry and that's something that just takes time. I feel like a lot of people try to force this kind of stuff. You know, you see those guys who are at the kind of crypto meetups or conventions and they're in their suit trying to meet everybody, passing out their business card. And I feel like that doesn't work for a lot of people. So can you speak on kind of how you have been able to personally develop these kind of relationships in the industry? A lot of it happens over Twitter, to be honest. Um, I think that one of the the best things about our industry, and this was true five years ago and it's still true now, is that with a lot of the founders, and I'd say most of the founders of a lot of the big crypto projects, you can just 
DM them on Twitter and, you know, they might get not get back to you the same day, but they will get back to you a lot of the time. And I think that that is the same for a lot of uh, crypto journalists, a, a lot of the influencers. Um, if you're going to them with an honest question and you're not trying to shill something, uh, you know, they're just people, right? So if you can approach them in the same way, um, it's easier to develop those relationships. Yeah, there's something about this industry. It's so cool, man. Just being able to have a conversation or some sort of back and forth with these CEOs of these companies just Mm -hmm. on Twitter. You know, it's free to create a Twitter account. Everyone that I talk to who's not on Twitter, I try to push them to Twitter because the community on there is just so great. Um, So for anyone who's listening who's not on Twitter, that's just kind of a plug to get on there, start meeting people on there. You know, you can meet people at these meetups and conventions and stuff like that. But those are once a month, once every couple months. There's big ones that happen once a year. Whereas people spend, you know, I would say people hop on, most people on crypto Twitter hop on there every single day and are having conversations with each other, developing and growing those relationships. Uh, So one other thing on marketing that I really wanted to touch on, and then you can kind of wrap up any kind of, marketing talk that you want uh but there's this idea of the kind of crypto influencer the people Mm -hmm. who run the podcasts or have a name for themselves on some sort of social media platform or they run a newsletter they trade um they're known for their trading it's the you you know what i'm talking about and i think most people do uh and i personally get a lot of companies reaching out into my dms they just get sent to that message request the dark message request section of my dms and they say hey we want to pay you to tweet about us or for a couple retweets uh and i feel like that's kind of lost its value over the last couple of years uh so do you have anything to speak about on on these companies that are just trying to throw money at influencers for tweets, retweets, uh, an episode on one of their shows or on their YouTube or something like that. Yeah, I think influencer marketing in crypto has changed a lot, even just in the last two years, I'd say. Um, There was a period in time where just a retweet was enough and you'd get a ton new users on whatever the platform or ICO you were running or whatever it is. Um, but it's not that way anymore. And I think that that is largely because the influencer industry uh, at large and across all industries is getting more mature and there's a, a stronger strategy uh, that's being developed for all those other verticals and those are bleeding over into crypto as well. But I think that um, firstly, influencers are a lot more skeptical when brands come to them. Like you need to be a semi-legitimate name already. It's really hard to be uh, a no-name startup brand um, without any connections to these people. You say that. Like, hey, here's money. <laughs> you say that, yeah. but I, I think there are still a bunch of names out there who will pretty much take anything and everything and just put some tweets out. And I feel like that stuff has very much lost its value. That It, it yeah. just doesn't work anymore. You know, There's names that people know in this industry where they're like, I couldn't trust this person with any kind of advertisement because I know they're just getting paid X amount of dollars to talk about it. And they don't, they don't care about the product. They don't use the product, yada, yada, yada. Um, so I, I think it's still out there. I, it's kind of phasing itself out, but I don't know. I think that's where, 
that's where quality comes in really. Cause at the end of the day, uh, a successful influencer campaign is going to have two things. It's going to, firstly, you have to have, um, a solidified strategy of what you want. So you need to be able to communicate that to the influencer, but the influencer also needs to be a good partner. This person needs to be communicative. This person needs to um, be able to fit the requirements, whether if, if it's like a compliance requirement or uh, you know, there's a special URL you need them to use or whatever it is, um, whether it's a, a video or just a tweet or whatever, a, a graphic, whatever, right? It can be anything. So. Um, having a solid um, and smart strategy with good partners, that's how to do it. it. It doesn't matter really at the end of the day, the size of the influencer. Um, I've worked with small influencers that were really good and big influencers that were not as good. Um, so it, it, at the end of the day, it comes down to your strategy and your ability to execute. There we go. So that's more on the company side of things, I would say. How do these influencers who have got these channels set up and these audiences that they have become close with, how do they kind of continue to provide value? You kind of said, you know, they need to be able to show that they can provide value. Uh, yeah. But what do you what do you think is most effective with these influencers? How can they kind of morph and shape themselves to be effective to a company like eToro, for example? It's a good question. I think that for every influencer, the answer is a little bit different, but for most companies, their goal is always to get more users. So it's conversions, right? So firstly, if you have the ability to track leads or track con conversions uh, to their platform, great. You're going to be able to sell that to any marketer. Most people don't have that, but that's a great thing if you're looking for a leg up. Um, Always be transparent about your numbers. Don't hide the numbers. I highly recommend taking screenshots from your Twitter insights uh, and providing those to whoever you're talking to. Um, I think that um, the, having the ability to look at a campaign that a brand is trying to run uh, and then optimize it based on what your audience wants to see is also a huge uh, added value. Always remember that it's more profitable to have a returning customer than get a new customer, right? So if you can knock it out of the park with some of your early uh, advertisers, you're gonna have them forever. Like look at Peter Peter McCormack, for example, with what Bitcoin did. Um, I started working with him when I was at BlockFi a couple years ago, and I believe they're still working with him today. And the same with Kraken, I think that he's still working with for the last couple of years. So, um, you know, it becomes highly profitable over time. So the more effort that you put in, the more effort the brand's going to want to put in and, and add dollars as well. There we go. Uh, so I'm going to speak from personal experience here a little bit. Uh, I think that there's some companies out there who don't work very close with influencers. They say, here's X amount of dollars. This is what we want. And then they don't talk ever again you know i've had companies yeah. where they've said here here's this much money this is what we kind of want for you and that's the end of it they don't really kind of integrate me or others into their marketing plan as best as they could mm -hmm. and you know i'm going to be honest i probably didn't ask enough or try to integrate myself enough uh, but then with some of the other companies that i've worked with where 
the company has kind of laid out their entire marketing plan, who they're trying to capture, what they're looking for specifically, it really helps. And having that constant communications, I mean, with one of mine, Crypto.com, I talk with uh, one of the marketing people there once a week. I get updates once a week. I give them my numbers once a month. And we kind of have this running dialogue of, hey, this is what you're doing right. This is what you're doing wrong. This is where you can improve. And I think that's been one of my, I'd say, favorite, most successful kind of partnerships is with that company because we've been so close and so transparent with each other. And we kind of update each other on what's going on. Uh, so to any companies and influencers out there who are kind of trying to work with each other or figure out how to work with each other, it needs to be this open dialogue, this constant communication. You really need to integrate them into your full marketing plan, not just a, hey, you're going to tweet X amount of times and we're going to give you this many dollars or you're going to put us on the intro of your podcast eight times for the month and that's the end of that. Couldn't agree more. So that kind of wraps up my side of my knowledge, I would say, on marketing in this industry. Is there anything that you think we missed or that you still want to talk about or want the people or companies to know that are listening to this? I think at the end of the day, it's just about being authentic. Um, I think everyone can tell who's trying too hard and and who's not trying hard enough or um, who's not sharing the values of the wider community. So um, I think listening to uh, your audience, what they want to hear and providing more of that. That's really the key to all of it. You know, as you're saying that it kind of leads into another question of mine, because you say, you know, kind of understanding your audience, being transparent with them, being close with them, giving them what they want. Uh, it, it's true for a lot of these smaller companies, I would say. Uh, but what about these huge, massive institutions? Cause when you think of someone like Coinbase, probably the biggest exchange out there, most brand recognition. I'd say that's where most people bought their first Bitcoin when they got in during that run of 2017. You know, I've got friends who don't give a shit about crypto at all anymore, but they bought Bitcoin on Coinbase at one point, then sold it, then left the left the kind of industry forever. And when they come back, they're going to know Coinbase still, uh, but they're kind of widely hated in the community and on Twitter, you know, people say, oh, they're a terrible company. Delete Coinbase has been trending before. So are they kind of excluded from all this? Do you get to a point where you can just say, we don't give a shit about our customers anymore? We, we can do what we want? Or do you think that Coinbase will eventually fall from grace and some other company is going to take over? I mean, there's always a chance that another player will come in like eToro and, and uh, take over the, you know, the hegemony of the space. But I also highly doubt that Coinbase is trying to screw over their customers. I think there are some decisions that not everyone agreed with, but I also guarantee you a lot of those people who are screaming the loudest still use them. Um, I use them for some of my purchases. Uh, I, there's a number of exchanges that I use for different purposes and um, when you're a business that size, like you were alluding to, you have to be very careful uh, and you're never going to be able to make every single person happy. Their focus is on the exact use case that you mentioned. They want to be the place that, uh, if there's another bull run, everyone's thinking, oh yeah, I did that in 2017 or my son or my dad or my cousin, whatever it is, 
uh, told me about this place a while ago, and that's where I'm going to go because they did it. Um, so that's that's their goal. I mean, their their compliance requirements are probably a lot uh, stricter than a lot of the smaller companies. So um, I don't blame them at all for for playing it safer. Um, I think that you would you see the same thing from Robinhood or any traditional uh, stock exchange even. Um, so I think that uh, we forget that CT is a little bubble of the internet. Right. And um, as much as we like to bubble. think it's the wider world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I, I highly doubt uh, any of the people that are working, you know, night and day to spread uh, the word about Bitcoin or crypto more widely or trying to screw over their, their customers. I think we're all uh, working hard to, to grow that adoption and we all want to be that source of the adoption. There we go. See, you brought up eToro again just recently or during that last little bit. Uh, and I kind of just want to ask one more time um, with regards to, because you talked about, you know, they're crypto only in the U.S. right now, but you guys are making the move to traditional markets. Uh, is your goal to bring traditional investors into crypto and this will be a way, you know, you offer the traditional stuff and then you also have the crypto stuff or are you more focused on getting the crypto guys who are currently trading on the platform to kind of branch out into the wider market? It really is a little bit of both. Um, you know, I'm a crypto guy, so I think that there's a big opportunity in um, helping crypto people onboard into traditional um, investments. Um, I think that there's a lot of people in crypto whose first ever investment was in Bitcoin, for example, and that's true for me. I think and still I think to this day, you know, I think still <laughs> to this day, there are people who only own Bitcoin or some combination of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. They don't own yeah. anything outside of that, which is wild to me. So I think there's a big opportunity to onboard those people, but there's also a large gap in the market um, and uh, increasing demand for social trading platforms like what we have. So you can copy other traders on our platform. Uh, there are portfolios that you can just in, invest in, and that way you don't have to actively manage your own portfolio. Um, there are social feeds where you can go on and discuss TA or trading strategy or market sentiment with other people. Um, and you can see this trend getting more popular. There's a stock trading app called Public that also focuses on Venmo-like social feeds. Uh, you have uh, Robinhood adding um, profiles similar to what we have to individual users. So this is really where investing is going over the next few years becoming more of a social thing uh, because I think that like we had talked about earlier in the episode that's how you see that kind of growth and widespread adoption is you get people to talk about it on social platforms so if you kind of turn it into a social platform people are going to be more drawn to it they're going to stay on it they're going to talk to the community kind of build a community that sort of thing uh, one last question on kind of the crypto to traditional markets kind of conversion um, is, is your plan just to kind of start offering these products? How, how exactly do you plan on getting these guys interested in traditional markets? Because I feel like just offering the product might not be enough to get people to stray away from Bitcoin trading. Yeah, it's all about framing. Um, I think that um, 
there are always going to be people who most of their portfolio is going to be in various crypto assets, but maybe they want a little bit of Tesla as well. And they might as well do it where they're already buying their, their Bitcoin or whatever else. Right. Um, and then inverse inversely, there's a lot of people who, you know, just invest in the S and P 500, but they want a little bit of exposure to Bitcoin. So we might have a portfolio where you can invest in both and that's actively traded. Um, so there's interesting ways to hit both of those groups. There we go. Sounds like you guys are kind of kind of be the leader on this. Not a lot of other crypto exchanges are doing this. Uh, so you guys are really poised to be that kind of industry leader that offers everything. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to what you've got going on. Uh, so I always like to ask my guests, um, you know, what they're most excited for in the coming 12 months. I assume it's got something to do with some stuff that eToro's got in the pipeline. Uh, but is there anything else that you are also excited for with regards to just the larger market? Um, I'm excited about uh, a lot of the lending businesses in in crypto. You know, I, I used to be at BlockFi, but, um, you know, I'm also interested on in what Compound's up to, for example. Um, a lot of these businesses are growing their... Um, feature set to include uh, buying and selling of assets on that uh, beyond just earning interest, whether it's, you know, loans or uh, earning off of purchases in the same way that Lolly offers those services. So there's a lot of really cool consumer facing things um, in the pipeline that'll be sort of emerging in the second half of this year and the first half of next. And I think that at the end of the day, we have to be focused on these consumer products and there's a lot of really interesting businesses working on that right now. There we go. Perfect. Uh, anything big in eToro's pipeline that you can talk about, or is that stuff kind of under wraps for the time being? I'm going to save that for a little bit. Okay. Save it for next time. There we go. Okay. So that obviously means that there's something big coming up. I uh, just can't talk about it yet. Uh, so I always like to end the episode with a biggest tip from my guest. Uh, and today we talked a lot about how to market yourself, your company, how companies can work with individuals. And so my question would be, you know, how do individuals and also how do companies, what's your biggest tip for them marketing themselves in this industry? And I know we've already covered a lot and it's probably already been talked about, but I just want to circle back on it so that people as they're listening to this have something in their mind, you know, fresh in their mind how they can kind of market themselves to the crypto community. I think that the bottom line is probably just to make sure that uh, when you talk about your product, try to have it down to one sentence, one simple sentence. Uh, in that simple sentence, there needs to be uh, obviously a value proposition of what you do, but you also need to somehow sneak in a differentiator. If you're an exchange, what's the difference between you and the next one over? Um, are you decentralized? Are you centralized? Is it a social trading platform like us? Is it just a normal centralized exchange? Um, I think that um, being able to boil down that messaging really is the key to successful marketing in general. So try to focus on that. There we go. Perfect. Kind of leaves them, you know, one simple sentence, something that differentiates you from, from another company, really just lets you kind of stick out in the minds of the people. Uh, and then with regards, I'll, I'll chime in on the individual case. 
uh, because I, I think I've started to kind of market myself a specific way. I'm starting to get some sort of brand recognition. People know me, people know my podcast. Uh, and for myself, it really has been about, we've talked about it already, but building these relationships in the industry, you start to become friends with some of these people and the community starts to get to know you. And you really do have to just put in the time to kind of build those relationships, figure out who your target audience is, focus on them, communicate with them, develop those relationships. Uh, so for anyone who's out there who's kind of an individual trying to build themselves up in this industry, I think that's my biggest tip for them. Um, so perfect, biggest tip, usually like to end on that. But is there anything else that you want my audience to know before we go? Uh, you should follow me on Twitter at, at Brad Michelson or eToro at, at eToro US. Perfect. Yeah, we will. Uh, I'll throw a link in the description to your Twitter, to eToro's Twitter. For anyone who's interested in following either of them down below, you can head on over, give them a follow. I've been following Brad for a while now. Love the stuff that he puts out there. Highly recommend you guys following him. Uh, and Brad, I just want to say thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. You know, this episode kind of hits close to home because I've got my podcast. I work with a lot of companies in the industry. I've learned a lot. I hope my audience has. I hope some brands and companies can listen to this episode and implement it into their marketing strategy. So thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it.